Trails Collective. Welcome to Voices from the Collective, a podcast coming for you. <laughs> yeah, coming to you from the mouth of the East Coast in upstate New York. I'm your host, Ellie Pell. All right, folks, I'll admit that sometimes I get super lucky with the people I meet. Social media is the devil in lingerie most times, but I have been able to come across a few people who just make me laugh and think in a similar way that I do. I started following Zach Bevan on Twitter a while ago, and he has blessed my feed with smart quips that never fail to make me snort laugh, mostly at inappropriate times. It also helps that his partner is also a voice in the road and track side of sport who knows great sports, great hair, and hilarity. I knew I wanted to have Zach on the show, not because of his impressive running, which we barely talked about, but because he seems to be someone that I would be friends with in real life. He actually sealed the deal because when we were scheduling this show, he said he absolutely, under no circumstances, could do Tuesday because that is reserved for tacos. This show is full of insight and opinion from the space between ultra running and marathoning where Zach and I reside. This is my favorite episode to date. This episode is sponsored by Exoskin. Exoskin is the only seamless athletic apparel brand in the U.S. Their apparel is 100% made in the U.S. and it uses their patented materials to reduce friction and wick moisture. Exoskin apparel provides protection against chafing, blisters, hot spots, and even odor protection. Every product comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So wear it up to for up to 30 days and if you're not completely satisfied, they will give you a full refund. You can use the code Trails Collective. That's one word for a discount on your next order. All right, let's get into this episode with Zach. Zach Bevan, welcome to the Voices of the Collective podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Yeah. So you're originally from Kentucky, but now you live in Boston. So um, what's the running scene like in Boston? Is it, is it pretty sleepy? Like it doesn't seem like there's much going on there. So t- <laughs> t- talk, to about, talk to us about the Boston running scene. Uh, well, it's different from Kentucky. That's for sure. <laughs> um, and it helps to be dating like one of the Boston runners, yes. David Melly. Um, but no, it's, it's crazy. Just the number of number of just runners all across the board. Um, still kind of getting used to, you know, running on the river and seeing just so many people out on a Saturday or a Sunday. Um, and then just, you know, like someone who looks like they could be a, you know, 215 marathoner that you have no idea who they are, just, you know, running down the, down the river, the other direction. Um, yeah. Is so. there a lot of opportunity for you to train with other people? Uh, yes and no. Um, yes. And that there's a lot of people and, you know, in dating David by virtue of that, just like I'm easily connected to a lot of people already. Um, but it is a little bit difficult just because my training is a little bit more ultra focused. Um, so it's a lot easier to find someone to do 5k, 10k, half marathon, marathon type of work with, but fewer people who are willing to do, you know, 30 miles or, you know, something that back to back 20 milers or something like that. Um, so I try to work with people when I can, but there's not, unless there's, they're, they're hiding out there still, there's just not a ton that kind of line up with what I'm looking to do specifically. 
they're like in the bushes, like, wait, just waiting yeah. for their chance. Like one day <laughs> exactly. I will jump out there and hand uh-huh. him a goo. And he's going to be like, you come with me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, are there a lot of like, how many professional training groups are in Boston right now? Oh gosh. I don't even know. Um, and why I Boston? I mean, there's no altitude. It's like, no, fun. it's crappy weather, like here for half the year. I mean, there is the marathon, but you can like uh-huh. come in for the marathon and then leave. Like, <laughs> yeah, there is a lot that's just kind of revolving around the marathon. Um, yeah, but, but there's like the BAA, um, New Balance has a group. There's just, you know, Saucony. I, it might have something to do with so many footwear brands being, you know, based in Boston, mm-hmm. you, you know, like New Balance and Saucony and Puma and you know, it's just, it's insane how many footwear brands are based in the city. And Tracksmith, um, right? Isn't that, David works for Tracksmith. David, right? he doesn't work for Tracksmith. That's actually a pretty common uh, misconception. Oh, okay. But... He's just that guy that's like always outside. So you assume he's an employee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and he runs for their, uh, their elite, like elite team, their, yeah. you know, competitive team. Um, but yeah, Tracksmith's based, based here as well. Uh, it's just, I don't know, it's just kind of a hub of, you know, running brands. And I think that just kind of has a lot to do with it. And, you know, the culture goes back. So like Bill Rogers and, you know, just the whole running lore of, you know, that, um, I think definitely has some spillover effects that continue to this day. You know, uh, it's amazing what a support structure can do to like explode, like the running depth and running just, um, the people that want to be there. I mean, there's just Mm -hmm. a structure of help for athletes. So like, even if they go and they might not have a sponsor or have a super big plan, just being in Boston is kind of like helping to set themselves up at least a little bit. Yeah. And that's something that's remarkably different from coming from Kentucky is that, you know, in like, I was in Lexington, Kentucky, went to university of Kentucky and worked at the local running store there and kind of post-collegiately kind of built a group of people around the store and myself as like, you know, the like kind of culture of post-collegiate people. Um, but that was not there when I first got out of college, it was just kind of like, you know, the college team. And then, you know, a few local weekend warriors and, you know, know, that sort of thing. Um, but then, you know, in in Boston, it's insane. There's just, there's so many post-collegiate groups, you know, the heartbreakers and Mm -hmm. tracksmith and battle road. It's just, you know, there's a, there's a much more culture of you join a team and race other people, whether that's like on the new England circuit or, you know, just club nationals and cross country or whatever it is, there's just way more opportunity to actually be involved in like a team structure post-collegiately versus, you know, coming from Kentucky where if you're running after college, you're basically doing it by yourself or you're bothering friends who are still around to to try Mm -hmm. to keep doing it with you. So, um, that's, that's a very different, you know, vibe. That's been kind of a cool, cool thing to be around. Yeah. Um, Boston and what you're describing sounds a little bit like the structure of Flagstaff and how there's a lot of also a lot of elite runners that are there. Um, and it's something that Ian who owns the trails collective and I've talked about like why, can't like, how, why is it so hard to like get that kind of support just where we are? I mean, cause Ithaca is a very, uh, in upstate New York, we are a tourist destination. There's a lot going on. Like, I mean, the way I, um, actually like David came across my radar actually was because he went to Cornell and I'm from Ithaca, like he, yeah, Cornell. And, um, I'm from the Ithaca area and like, I follow the track and stuff, but, um, 
it seems like in Boston and Flagstaff, maybe Boston more corporately, but in Flagstaff more like town and locally, they just really support the outdoor industry. They really support running. And, um, when we were discussing just like Ithaca and other places in upstate New York, um, that's just not exactly like outdoor activities and giving money to those kind of like resources just isn't like the number one priority. And Ithaca, it's a lot of arts and music, which is very important. But I mean, if the tourists are coming for our gorges and our skiing and our things like that, it's like, why don't you give them some more money? <laughs> yeah. Um, David and I have actually talked about, we need to take a trip to Ithaca. Um, yes. I want to see the gorges. I want to see the wineries. Um, my mom's into wineries, so she wants to go, you know, take a a wine tour up there at some oh, point please. as well. Oh so. my gosh. I will take you on a gorgeous, <laughs> we can run the Cayuga trails course. Oh, uh-huh. it's so nice. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And I've looked at running that race before as well. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question because I think there are, there's that, there's a lot of places that I think have the potential to, you know, emulate that sort of structure. Um, it's just kind of funny that only a few places really have, you know, Boulder comes to mind, Flagstaff comes to mind. Um, and, you know, to some extent, I th- think it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy when those places kind of get momentum, it just kind of builds on itself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, even, you know, on the East Coast, there should be more of that, um, whether it's, you know, in Ithaca, uh, I'm not super familiar with the setup, but it sounds like the setup could be great if, you know, the right investment was there and the right infrastructure was there. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, like Zap Fitness down in North Carolina, they have a great thing going there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've, and every there's time, another one under armor, right. Are there down there? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and I've, I've thought that too, like I grew up going to the smoky mountains in Tennessee, you know, two or three times a summer. And every time I was there, you know, running trails and like, there should just, it's wild to me that there isn't some sort of like trail group based in the smoky mountains, just because of all the, you know, the opportunities for trail running there are insane. Um, or, you know, growing in Kentucky, just within an hour of Lexington, there's more trails than you could run in a lifetime. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I had, I had kind of far-fetched dreams of like, oh, it'd be cool to have a a team based in Lexington, Kentucky, that you could do like a combo trail road kind of thing, just kind of carting back and forth between the trails in the Eastern part of the state and the roads in in Lexington. Um, But yeah, I think it all just kind of comes back to where, where that money flows and where that support structure is, because, you know, that, that doesn't just crop up out of nowhere. Um, yeah, you bring, you bring up an interesting point also. I mean, you're a coach as well, which I was going to talk about later, but I guess, um, and you and I both have the similarity of like, we've done the marathon Olympic trial yields qualifier. Your, your pedigree is a lot deeper than mine, but, um, I don't have a a golden ticket. And so, um, (laughs) when I was qualifying, like I ran with a group of people, like, well, two, basically two other women, but we, we, and a couple other guys and we were, we were a group. And I think it's very common for lower distances to training groups. And also I think it's easier for them to, um, have a similar training style, like you know, Nazalite, they have Ben Rosario has a certain training style, um, on running with 
Ritzenheim, similar um, style. And it's, I think it's a little bit easier. And also because there are more groups to like find the group. If you're a very talented runner to find the group that like meshes with your style and then you're there and you're all training under the one coach with one style, basically Um, Mm -hmm. with some variation, of course. Um, I think with trail running and ultra running though, like the mileages and the workouts that work for people are just so different. Like sometimes, I mean, besides doing your easy runs, like training in a group, I think it's, it, I think it'll come, but I don't know if it's like sellable yet because like one coach coaching a bunch of people, but like one person thrives on 50 miles a week. Another person is like 150. That's kind of hard to like get everybody on the same level. Like, what do you think about that being a coach and coming, having like both the track and then marathon and then now ultra training? Yeah. For ultras, it's definitely a lot harder. Um, you know, you mentioned people thrive on different, the variation in ultra training is much wider. Like one of my athletes is very successful. He's, you know, finished Leadville on 30 miles a week, which, you know, that's like, that's not going to work for most people. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, then to your point, I think there's also an element of, you know, training in groups is very good and very powerful, you know, for what, no matter the distance, I do think there's probably some structure that would work for the ultra distances, but because the training styles are so different, I'm not sure it's quite as conducive to the ultra side of things. Um, Because part of what, you know, goes into running fast and, you know, the, 5k, 10k, half, even a marathon is, you know, in workouts, digging deeper than you think you should or can Mm -hmm. by virtue of working with other people, you know, in a training group. And, you know, that's what I was, you know, loved running in college was, and what I kind of miss about running in college is having that, that support structure in that group to, you Mm -hmm. know, push you like closing out the last mile in a six by mile workout, like faster than you ever thought you could do just because, you know, you have people to work with yeah, and they bring that out of you, but that's, there's not necessarily a place for that as much in ultra training. I don't think, um, or if you, if you are doing that, then you shouldn't be doing it more than once or twice per cycle, just because the, the kind of training stimulus that you need to improve in the ultra space is just so different and you don't necessarily, you know, want or need to be going to the well like that. Um, and sometimes it can, you know, be detrimental to do that in Mm -hmm. in the ultra space. Um, and that's kind of also, I think reflected in a similar way when you race ultras versus racing like a marathon. Um, like I'm sure you've had the experience of in a marathon or a half of like latching onto a group of people and just like hanging on for dear life and like Mm -hmm. working with that group and you're all, you know, working towards a common goal and like, you just get dragged along and to like a time that you never really considered possible mm-hmm. to whereas, you know, you flip the coin onto like, you know, hundred K or a hundred miler or something like that, or a 50 miler. Um, there is a space I think for racing, but I do think it's a lot more dangerous to be. So like to be more focused on racing and, and, and kind of ignore, you know, that like central governor that's, that is appropriate for whatever distance you're running in the ultra mm-hmm. side of things. Um, it's just, it's, it's, and that's why I've been happy that, you know, like at, at tunnel Hill 50, when I ran that I, or strolling gym, when I ran that, you know, there was not necessarily anyone around for me to be competing with, 
it kind of mm-hmm. left, it, it, it freed my like mental capacity to just kind of look inward to maximize my own performance for that distance. Um, whereas I, if you're, you know, competing, competing against someone over those distances, I do think there's more possibility for you to make a stupid decision early on, go out too fast or, you know, something like that. Um, yeah, so. I completely agree. Uh, I, that's exactly how I felt at Bandera. It was mm-hmm. like, run my own race, run my own yeah. race. I know the effort I want. I know the effort. And like, and you could tell that like people that started racing too early, like you just little things, like it takes a lot of energy to be that mentally engaged. Um, I, you should be mentally engaged, but like give yourself a little, like it, you can't be like zoom mm-hmm. in because that's a lot of energy. And then, you know, you forget a bottle. Oh, it doesn't matter. I need to stay with her or something. And mm-hmm. it, it really matters. And so, yeah, it's, I, I like, I like talking about this because it is very different and people that don't have the experience of like ever really you know, going for something like the marathon or, you know, shorter distance. Um, it's not like they just wouldn't know because like all ultra runners, it's, you're right. It's not that smart to, you know, have a gut busting workout once a week. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a space in ultra running for like, you still need to like give some love to the VO2 max side of things and, you know, you know, like make sure that you're still, touching on threshold systems and everything. So there is a, there is a time and place for that sort of stuff, but in terms of like the ultra specific side of things, like, yeah, if you're, if, if, if you're going deep to the well, you know, on a 35 mile, 40 mile training run, you know, maybe you can get away with that once or twice a cycle, but at some point you're just going to leave your race out there if you're doing that. Um, too much. So. Yeah. So how do you structure your training now? So I, it's, it's interesting, like coming from the marathon and then just knowing what I know. I mean, I coach myself like you do. And like my ultra training is very reminiscent of marathon training. I mean, not as like K reps and mile reps and like marathon pace and under stuff, but it's very like similarly structured. So how do you structure your ultra training right now? Um, I actually, I do have a coach and he's, oh, okay, uh, sorry. my, he's my marathon coach and we've kind of, um, worked together to kind of transition that into the ultra side of things. Um, and it is still pretty reminiscent of marathon training. And part of me, part of me kind of feels like, well, that's kind of lame. Maybe I should, you know, go full ultra mode, but then the other side, working of me is for like, you. yeah. And the other side is like, well, it's working. And you like, you look at Camille Heron, she's trains like a marathon. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I do think it depends on the person's background on what is going to be most successful for them. Um, just, just because, you know, if, if you go at the sport, you know, like from the, you know, like just the, the natural progression of, you know, all the way through the marathon up, up into the ultra world, I do think it makes a little bit more sense to kind of keep that structure that you have had success with versus someone who just jumps straight into the ultra side of things they have a very different background and experience Mm -hmm. um so it's it's not quite you know apples to apples in that in that regard um so i think yeah it is it's just it depends on the person depends on the background um and depends on the races you're training for and depends on the races that you're training for like i'm 50k or 50 mile 100k is a very i think that is i think even 100k is probably closer to marathon fitness than hundred K is to hundred mile fitness. 
I don't know. I've never run a hundred miler. <laughs> yeah, I haven't either. Um, but can, can <laughs> I comment two weeks, two weeks, but, uh, I've, I've noticed in my own training that 50 mile fitness is I'm, I'm so when I was in my best 50 mile shape, I, I felt like I was three or four weeks of specific work away from my best marathon shape. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. And you know, I might have a different opinion after I run my first hundred K here in a few weeks at mad city. I know. Um, but when I, I saw your name on the list and I was like, Oh, I, can I make that work? I was like talking to like my mentor. I was like, Ian, should I like, cause I, cause it sounded real fun to me too. And I was like, Oh, maybe, yeah. but I think we're going to do something else. Yeah. So it's a uh, hundred K roads. That's just, it'll be a, it'll be an adventure, but, yeah. um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, there's, and the other side of it, that's kind of fun is that there isn't a ton of established knowledge out there on how to mm-hmm. do it. So you know, it is kind of like write your own adventure. It's a puzzle and I yeah, love it. Yeah. Like, that's what I say. It's like every race, every, like it's a puzzle yeah, and, exactly. um, it's fun to figure out and like helping people figure it out too is, is mm-hmm. pretty great as well, which yeah. speaking of, so I was actually looking at your coaching website and, um, you have some very wonderful testimonials on there, but one that really <laughs> spoke to me was this 40 year old man who has been trying for 15 years to run a sub five minute mile. And, you know, sometimes my body resonates with that of a 40 year old man sometimes when I wake up and I was just like, and during COVID my, like what I did was I tried to train for a five minute mile and I was there. And then Ithaca winter hit Mm. and everything was closed and the roads were covered in ice, but I was like at that, you know, like almost like one more week and I'll be overtrained and overcooked. And my coach was like, or the like sort of coach who was helping me. He's like, I know you're there, but I'm not going to do this to you. So I never got it. So now I know <laughs> that like you can coach a 40 year old man to a five minute mile. You can coach me to a five minute mile. So we'll keep this on the docket after June. Yeah, no, that was a, that was a fun one. And that's kind of, I've enjoyed, you know, I've really enjoyed coaching. Um, it's, you know, I've been in, like, I've been an athlete pretty much my entire life, but I've been coaching only for, you know, two, two and a half, three years, something like that. Um, but it's something that I've, I've really enjoyed just because it's really fun to be involved with, you know, other people's journeys. And it's a very different experience of being involved with the sport versus, you know, your own athletic pursuits. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's something that you can get better at, you know, you can only run so fast for so long, but you can get better at coaching for the rest of your life, which is, you know, a really cool thing to me. Um, and it's also been fun, like him running a, I was, I was simultaneously working with someone who, you know, wanted to break five minutes in the mile and someone who's training for a 50 miler. So it, it's, it's just kind of, it's kind of fun to see the breadth of, you know, goals people have in this sport. And, you know, he's 40 years old. He wants, he's always wanted to break five in the mile. Like, hell yeah, let's, let's do it. And I know it's, it's like, I, am I sad like, that I haven't done it yet? No. Cause I have tons of time to do it. Like I can try yeah, again. It's uh-huh. just, I mean, it, the ice happened, COVID happened. And <laughs> so I'm only 30. I mean, look at Camille. Oh yeah. And it's amazing. Like, I think it, it, it's, there's just so much like conventional wisdom out there that you can't do X, Y, Z after, you know, certain ages. And it's been, it's, been fun to kind of watch I think particularly over the last few years just people blow those you know those norms out of the water whether it's Camille at 40 not just setting masters world records but like world record world records um or like Zach Ranielis who's you know 50k national champion 
being like, no, I'm going to go run on the track again after having a kid and like, you know, PRing in the mile and track training with Nick Willis and stuff. And it's like, you know, there is, there is no playbook. Like if you want to do something like at least try, because like, yeah. who cares what the conventional I mean, why distance not? Yeah. Like, you know, and like I, it, oh, go it's, ahead, sorry. It, it's also amazing. Like, you know, you go through your, your athletic life and like, you don't know what, you know, like these last few years, I've been focused on the ultra side of things versus, you know, running in the marathon. Um, but I'm excited to kind of pivot back towards the marathon this fall, because, you know, I have a new training stimulus in my leg legs from the past, you know, two or three years on focusing on 50 ish mile races. And I'm excited to see, you know, how that strength translates back to the marathon, because, you know, sometimes you just kind of bang your head against the wall doing the same type of training over and over, you know, cycle over cycle, and you don't really make all that much progress, but then you shift focus on to something else for a while. And then you return back to that original pursuit. And because you have that different training stimulus over several cycles, you know, you, you have a different fitness set of fitness tools to attack that same goal. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't think you should ever write any aspect of any, any side of the sport off if, you know, you still have the desire or the drive to, to chase it because, you know, you never know. Yeah. Yes. I was going to ask about that because the standards, like we got the new Olympic standards a couple uh, months ago now, and the men's is 218, right? Uh, yes. 218 flat. So. Okay. So, uh, do you, and your PR is 218. Yeah. 1826. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you know, you have 26 seconds. I got like three. Oh, minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to ask actually, if you were going to try for it again, cause I like, I want my plan actually after Bandera was probably to do that. Like I was not, I, that was actually, I was talking to the training partners again, like, oh yeah, as soon as I get home from this like race in Texas where I'm, I'm back to you and you know, life happens. And I just was like, just wait till next September. Let's do it next September. So, I mean, I have no, like, I'm not saying no, that I wouldn't try again. And so I just, I get from you that you are probably going to try again or what do you, what are you thinking? Yeah, I think I'm, if it was 218 was like just tempting enough that I was like, it'd be cool to qualify for the trials twice. Um, Cause then, you know, it was such a cool experience the first time. Mm-hmm. And I know it's some form or another, I'm going to be at the race in 2024. And if I am there and, you know, I had like, and just in watching the race and hadn't even tried, I, I would think I'd be pretty bummed about that. Um, mm-hmm. So, and I, in 2.18, like I said, it's just tempting enough. Um, only 26 seconds to take off. And, you know, I think, I think I can do it. Um, I, I, de- I definitely am not quite as speedy as I was, you know, in 2018. Um, in a but, you're speedy in a different way. Yeah, I'm definitely stronger. And, you know, six weeks before JFK last fall, I ran Chicago, you know, as a, a controlled tune up for that race and ran 224 just like completely chill completely relaxed it was mm-hmm. not a great day it was pretty warm um and and that that effort just was like one of those efforts where you could kind of project you know how you were feeling versus what you probably could have done on that day and i don't think i couldn't have run 218 on that day but it was it was it was an experience of like okay you know i ran close enough that I can see myself being in the right fitness and being in the right race to be able to, to act, to actually run under 218. Um, so yeah, I want to, I want to give it another go. And then after yeah, that, you I have promise a live-in training partner. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, is David going to try again too? Yeah. So he's running grandma's. Um, oh, okay. Oh, good. Then, I'll look out yeah, for that. Yeah. I'll be there in some capacity. I don't know if I'm going to be running or anything, but definitely cool. I'll just go. And, yeah. yeah. I know that when I, cause I'm moving back to Ithaca in like a month or so. And, um, that's where my training group is. And, um, I also know that like, I'm not scared that I'm not going to be in that shape. I, th- cause I like getting into shape. Like I really, I don't mind those workouts that you do that are like, you know, slower than you used to be able to do them, but you're still like heaving on the side of the like towpath or heaving. I love that. Like, it's so hard, but like, that's my favorite part. So, I mean, yeah, yeah I might be like, have a different fitness level right now. And it's going to take me a little bit to build up to where I want to be, but that's really fun. Right. So it kind of is exciting. It's not like, yeah, sure. two thirty-seven is going to be a really big ask for both of us, but I mean, the fun part is like just trying to get there. Yeah. And it's amazing what, what like an arbitrary line in the sand makes possible. Um, you know, like mm-hmm. if it, I'm sure there's going to be a ton of people who run just under 237 because that's what they need to run. Um, yep. There's going to be a ton of guys who run 217, you know, 45 because you know that's what they need to run. Um, but you know, if if the standards have been a minute slower, I'm sure a lot of people would run, you know, plus you know just like a minute slower. Um, so it is kind of funny what you know putting an arbitrary line in the sand will make people do um, mm-hmm. because you know I think we're all capable more of you know, more than we think we, we are. So, Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. Yes. Just, you put in the work and, you know, you, you make whatever that pace is marathon pace and roll the dice and you don't know what's going to happen. So, yeah, I like that attitude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It'll be fun. I'm, I'm, I'll look forward to, we'll keep each other accountable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your personal running. So you describe yourself as a mediocre college runner. So what does that mean? Um, so that means I ran like 1430, um, was never, never made, like never even made regionals in track. So, you know, I was never top 48 in the East. Um, I was an okay cross country runner. I was like top, top 20 at SECs mm-hmm. a few times, um, you know, scored at Kentucky. Um, but you know, it was never, never really did anything spectacular. So, um, just kind of, I would say a very, middle of the pack division one runner. And then you ran for Kentucky. Yes. Right. Kentucky. Yes. KU. Yes. That's what I was like. Or I UK. always like Kansas, oh. Kentucky. Like I don't. <laughs> yeah. UK people in Kentucky will uh, not be happy if you say KU. <laughs> well, I'm not going to go to Kentucky though. <laughs> um, so how was your college running experience? Do you enjoy it? Like, uh, is that where you met David? No, we didn't meet until post-collegiate running stuff. Um, no college was, it was fun. Um, you know, I, I was a Kentucky fan my whole life. So, you know, I grew up with the UK being the best, pretty much the best basketball team in the country, 96, mm-hmm. 97, 98, winning national championships. And, um, so it was, it was a, like, deeply ingrained in me that, you know, go cats. Um, so it was, it was cool to like, it was run for the team I cheered for my whole life. And, um, you know, it was cool to be in a division one environment with all the resources of a huge athletic program you know the second biggest nike contract behind oregon um you know something like if it was the right race like we'd go to oregon pepsi relays um and take a private plane like i don't feel like i deserve 
to be on a private plane because I'm, you know, a pretty average 1430, you know, college runner. And we're just, you know, schlepping across the country in a private plane. Mm-hmm. Um, so the experience of it was, was pretty cool. Um, it, it did come with, you know, it's, it's downsides of, you know, expectations that weren't necessarily realistic for the talent level that, you know, some of us were. Um, so like, for instance, the first gold and silver in the past Olympics and the one to, in the women's 100 hurdles, both went to Kentucky. <laughs> Um, and there were literal world record holders and literal like Olympic medalists on staff. And, you know, that was like kind of the level that was expected of people and the distance program, we were good, but we weren't like, you know, to the level of like the women's sprints or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was, you know, a little bit of a disconnect sometimes then between like what certain people on the team were doing versus, you know, certain people on the distance side where, you know, if, if, if you weren't all American, then you know, like you weren't necessarily like contributing enough to the team. And it's like, well, that might be realistic for some of these recruits that were coming in, but you know, for, for most of us, that's, that's not necessarily tenable. So sometimes there was some disconnect and some, you know, unhappiness around that. Um, but, you know, I think that's just, that's kind of just part of the, the beast of running for a program like that is, you know, those are the expectations and, if, if you can't handle that, then that's kind of one of the, you know, too bad. <laughs> so um, it got you, it did that like sort of prepare you for dealing with like just pressure and things that, you know, I'm doing the best I can. And that's just, <laughs> what's going to happen here. Yeah. In some ways. Yes. And in other ways, no, I think, um, I have enjoyed post-collegiate running, I think a lot more after coming out of an environment like that, just because it is much more on my terms and much more because I want to be doing it, not because I'm, I'm, I need to reach, you know, some sort of external goal. Um, I was actually thinking about that on the way back. So I, I signed up for the, ran in the 50 K champs this mm-hmm. past weekend and dropped at 25 K. Um, I signed up with the intention of just running it as, as a training run um, and having fun, kind of like how I, how I treated Chicago before JFK. Um, that's exactly actually where my mind was when I was like, oh, I should run the 50 K cause it's you know close by and good training stimulus and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, but the conditions were just awful and it was, the, the wind was insane. Um, and I was just, it was super cold. I was having no fun. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. And so I dropped to 25 K, um, and then you know, got in the car and drove home and ran 15 miles when I got back home after four hours. You finally um, warmed up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like, and, and initially I was kind of like defaulting into that, like the collegiate mode that I, kind of a learned behavior mm-hmm. of running at, at like a, at a division one level where you kind of like beat yourself up and like you tie your self-worth to how you're running. And I felt I, on the, on the drive back, I kind of felt, found myself like defaulting to that learned behavior, mm-hmm. which as I started thinking about it, I was like, wait, this is, this is stupid that like, I'm doing this because I want to do this. I'm not, you know, in college, like, sure. There's like the aspect of like, you let your team down if you, you know, drop out of a race or something like that. It's like, but no, I, I, I'm, I'm doing this because I want to do this. And I made a very conscious decision that I didn't want to be there and that I wanted to save, you know, the effort for an upcoming race. And it was like, there's, there's no reason to default to that, to that, line of thought anymore like Mm -hmm. 
and, and that's something that I have enjoyed about my post-collegiate running and I'm still kind of trying to unlearn about my collegiate running is that it's supposed to be fun. And if it's, if it's not fun, then you're doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a friend who, um, he has been, uh, asking me a lot about and trying to figure out if he should change coaches, who his coach should be for this race that's in August. And, um, it just, it seems to weigh on his mind a lot, a lot. And, you know, I've talked to him at length about this and just, um, and at the, at the end of the day, it's like, uh, you know, even for like he, and he's just a regular runner, like, um, you know, good, like, like everybody who runs ultras is a very athletic person, but, um, and I'm like, and coming from, so coming from like someone like you or for me, it's like, at the end of the day, we do this cause it's our hobby. Like it's supposed to be mm-hmm. fun and <laughs> it is really serious. And that's part of the fun, but like, whatever choice you make, it's going to be all right. Like just, it's going to be fun. And yeah, I, I think that, uh, you're right. That default, like mindset of, Oh, what does this say about me as a person that I just dropped out of this race? And it's like, well, what were the goals for the race? Like, I mean, you said your goal was to have a good training run. Like it was crappy on Sunday. It was horrible here. I was thinking about everybody running that race because I considered running it. And I was so glad I didn't What a waste a seven hour drive. I mean, yeah. so you made like the decision that was right for you. And it's just, but I think also with the age of social media, we feel like we have to justify our decision. We can't just be like, I dropped out of the race. Cause it's like, that, that's it. Like no reason. Like there are a million reasons, but I don't need to tell you. And I think there's an expectation that we have to justify it. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, that's just, it's a much, I think a much healthier relationship with what you're doing. If, if that's the, if that's the case. And, um, actually I had a moment, it was like the fourth lap. I think I kind of decided on the fourth lap, okay, I'm not going to finish this thing. I'll, I'll get to five, you know, as a good training run and, and drop. Um, but there was a moment on the fourth lap, it was like a very like, okay, this is when it's going to, it's kind of starting to hurt a little bit. And if I'm going to keep going, I have to want to keep going. Like you're not going to run well if you don't want to be there. Um, and I think that, you know, says a lot about the value of, of what your race or when you're racing and what race you choose to race, because it has, you know, it has to be an event that you're invested in and that you want to do. And that the, the motivation comes internally. Cause if it's not there, especially for like an, any sort of ultra distance, like you can't, you can't not want to be there and hope it works out. You have mm-hmm. to, you have to want to do it. So. Yeah. Uh, it's either hell yes or no. That's exactly how it should be. <laughs> uh-huh. So, um, get us from college to ultras. So after college, you have like a good experience, but there's some, like a little bit of baggage there that you don't want to necessarily carry with you into your post-collegiate life. What did you do right out of college? Well, right out of college, um, my family and I went to Eugene to run or to watch the Olympic trials. And I ran around Crater Lake while we were out there and I hurt myself. Oh, It was like a 31 mile run. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to run 31 miles around this lake. And I did it. And then I hurt myself. Um, So I was chomping at the bit kind of early to run like the marathons and ultras and everything. Um, But you know, I was obviously not super prepared for that coming right out of college. Um, so once, once I kind of healed up from that IT injury, um, I kind of started on that, that marathon journey with my, with my coach, um, and over the course of, you know, four marathons, kind of perfected 
the craft of how to train and race for it. Um, and then, you know, ran the Olympic trials standard, um, ran the Olympic trials. And then actually the shift towards ultras was always kind of inevitable after that, um, but was really kind of cemented by the pandemic hitting right after the trials. Um, because, you know, ran the Olympic trials, basically the next day the world shut down, um, right when, you know, I was kind of coming out of my rest phase from the trials. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with everything happening in the world, all I wanted to do was to kind of like bury myself in training just to kind of have a distraction from the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of like projecting the race schedule or the lack thereof out through the fall. It's like, I, I don't think there's going to be any, any races or like, at least in terms of marathons, there's not going to be a marathon out there that I am interested in running. Like the Chicago's of the world aren't going to happen. You know, the New York's, but you know, CIM, like the, the races, the marathons that I would want to run that next fall probably aren't going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I want to run ultras anyway. So, um, I kind of made a pivot with my coach then to an ultra training cycle over that summer with no race in mind, just to kind of see how my body responded to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, to act as a distraction from the world. Um, so that's, that's what I did. Just kind of jumped into basic, it was basically 50 mile training, um, without a race. Um, mm-hmm. I did cap it off with a 50 mile adventure trail run that took like 13 hours because <laughs> nice. there was not a trail for a good portion of it. <laughs> um, but you know, mostly that whole summer was just about you know, experimenting with ultra training, um, and then rolled that into, a a training build for Tunnel Hill 50 that fall. And, you know, from there, it's just kind of been ultras ever since. Um, Mm -hmm. so what's your favorite part about the ultra training grind? I think it's well, well, and I've never been good at running fast, so I enjoy not needing to run fast that much. Um, but I think the other side of it is the, in terms of there's, there's just the way that I structure training is, is that there's bigger buckets of work. So it's, it's like a big bucket of work day. And then the next day it's like, Oh, cool. I just like, you know, have a little, little shakeout. And then the next day, a little shakeout again, and then another big bucket of work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's much more just like you turn your brain on, then you turn your brain off and then you turn your brain on and then you turn your brain off. Um, so it's, it's to, whereas I feel like with, with marathon training, there's a lot more, a lot more of a consistent grind to it. Um, but, but with ultra training, it's, it's, you kind of like pour a lot into one day and then you kind of back off and then you pour a lot into another day and then you kind of back off. So it's just a different experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. So I hope that your answer to this next question isn't, I should do those things. What is your like strength and mobility and other outside of running things look like? Um, I'm a big believer and user of Myrtle, the Myrtle routine. Oh yeah. Um, so that's like, yeah, that's like the core of my, after every run. <laughs> yeah. But I do, I, I do it before. Oh um, really? Yeah. I, yeah. I foam roll before. So I sort of okay. do stuff like that. Well, yeah, I kind of foam roll after. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so it never works. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Um, I like to do it before just to kind of like get everything firing before I go out. Um, mm. cause I'm old and that doesn't happen naturally. Anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. Um, but yeah, Myrtle's kind of like the baseline of my other stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I always think that I should do more. 
I probably should do more. Um, but I do Myrtle. I do a lot of resistance band work. Um, I have a few exercises from a, from a PT who, you know, I went over, over Christmas. I was like, nothing really hurts, but can you kind of like poke and prod me and see what I'm not like, what's not working super great. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, you know, kind of like did an assessment of my imbalances and weaknesses and gave me some, some exercises to work on that. So I kind of throw those in maybe two or three times a week as well. So I um, like that. That's a good strategy. Yeah. 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 Mine, a lot of stem from like, if I did have a niggle or an, or something that I needed to work through. And then I was like, actually, this stuff feels kind of nice. And I just, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's just kind of like you, you have a, you have like a, rep, a, a list of things that you do and it just kind of keeps getting longer, of, you know, based on what, whatever's yeah. getting thrown your way. So, and like, once you realize there's nothing perfect to do, it's just what you're willing to do. That's what you should do. It's like, yeah, exactly. Oh, it's amazing. Uh-huh. And that's been kind of something that I've learned as I've run more in and coached more is, you know, some you're, you're tempted to think there is like a perfect answer for what you should do, but you know, there's, there is no right answer. It's just whether or not the answer that you're doing works. So yeah, especially that's yeah. like, that could be like put on a billboard for ultra running. Like there's no perfect way to do no. this. It's just what you're willing to do and what your body will tell yeah. you it's okay to do. Yeah. There's a thousand ways to get to the same spot, you know? Yes. I love that. It's so fun. Like Jeff Colt, who just got third at black Canyon, he like does tons of skiing and only runs like 30 miles a week. And, but not tons of like, he also just, he has this mentality where he likes to be up most of the day, like active on his feet and stuff. And so, and that works for him. I mean, so, I mean, for me, actually, I don't know if you've experienced this, but um, so you, cause you used to work in retail, so you were on your feet all the time. I used to manage a cafe. So I was on my feet all the time. And this past year that I've been finishing my degree and had, and I work at a library, so it's more restful. I actually like, I think maybe early in my running career, in my ultra running career, that being on my feet was a good thing. But now that I have more time to rest, it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it definitely depends on the person. Um, I think actually my first, uh, that first year that I got hurt, I think part of it was because I was, um, I was interning with an engineering company and it was like the first time I had ever been seated for eight or nine hours a day. Oh, okay. um, so I'd get up at, you know, five 30 in the morning, go run, shower, drive, drive into the office, sit for eight hours, drive home, run again. And I think, you know, that just sitting was, you know, mm-hmm. I was a college student. Like I was used to like biking around campus, being in class for 45 minutes an hour, walking to my next class, biking home for lunch, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. And that was, I think a large part of why I got hurt that first, first year is just sitting for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I have found that, you know, as I've gotten older, I appreciate, especially that, you know, the new balance corporate lifestyle of being able to uh, just kind of chill at my computer and get up as I need and want. I'm surprised that they don't have like on the like overhead system, like employees, it's time for a stretch break every 15 (laughs) minutes, please get up. Uh, Yeah. I'm actually, we are still all entirely remote um, though. I think that's going to change soon. Um, But that was actually one of the questions I asked when I was interviewing with them, when they were like, Oh, do you have any questions for us? I was like, yeah. So it's like, would it be weird if I like get up and stretch a times a day like I don't want people to like look at me funny <laughs> like I want to be in a work environment where that's not like weird and they're like oh no like we have there's there's plenty of people like who don't run and have no idea what running is but there's also Paragon people who, party yeah but there's also like 
a bunch of weirdos who work here who go out on their lunch runs and everything. So like you would not stick out at all. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, um, that makes me think of, is Boston a, a really walkable city? Yeah, it's very walkable um, and public, you know, public transportation and yeah, so. Yeah, I'm one of the reasons I'm looking forward to moving back to Ithaca is like it's is very walkable mm-hmm. um, and just like you can or bikeable. There's the bike lanes and stuff like that. Like I do. I like where I am right now. It's fine. Like it's nice. People are nice and whatever. But, you know, I got to drive everywhere and they're, you know, the near it, like the grocery store is like, I don't know, it's it's not a hop, skip and a jump away. It's uh, a little bit of a especially in the winter. So um back to what we were talking about in the beginning, you know, it's just the, there's gotta be like access and, um, amenities and things like that, where runners just want to go, but also not even like outside of their running, like we're active people. That's just what we like. So it's just gotta be like sidewalks, bike lanes have to be part of the infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's, yeah, it's been nice to like, I walked to the grocery store and everything. So, um, yeah, I'm enjoying where I'm living. It's been, it's been cool. So, uh, you mentioned what you have next, but why don't you tell us a little bit about, um, your training up leading up to what's it, um, the hundred K uh, mad city. Mad yeah, city. Mad there city. we go. I uh-huh. wanted to say jackpot. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe someday. Um, yeah. So training has been good. I mean, uh, it took me a minute after JFK to kind of get my legs back under me. Cause like, what you does know, that you, mean? How long did you take off? Like I took off all of January after Bandera. <laughs> I took off two full weeks. I took off one full week because I wanted to the second week I wanted to run, but I couldn't. Okay. <laughs> um, it's just like physically still could not run. Um, and then the third week I kind of started some run, run walking. And then by the fourth, I was kind of, you know, on the upswing back towards normal ish mileage again. Um, but yeah, that the combo of, you know, you can look at JFK's course profile and know that like, oh, it's 15 miles on trails and then you come off the mountain and then you hit the rail trail and then you hit the road. Like you can, you can see that, but then actually running it, it's just like, you're, oh, it's mm-hmm. a different beast. It just tore me up. Um, oh yeah. But yeah. So after I kind of came off of that, I basically, um, this is one of those, like, if any of my athletes are listening, it's a do as I say, not as I do situation. Um, if you look at my Strava graph, it's just a straight line, like basically, you know, 50, 80, hundred mile week progression. All right. You're <laughs> um, excited. Right? Yeah. I was just like, I want to get back into it. <laughs> um, so basically just jumped up to, you know, volume as quickly as I could. And then I've kind of been hovering around that hundred, 120 mile a week range, um, with, you know, I kind of period, period, period. Ugh. It's all right. It's late. Um, yeah, it is. Um, I had a, like a VO2 max period pretty early on. And then I've, mm-hmm. I've kind of been moving through a threshold period. And now I'm kind of moving into my last endurance really focused period right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has been, you know, it was, you know, 400s and Ks and that sort of stuff. And then I kind of moved towards marathon pace maybe a little bit slower type of stuff. And now it's, it's moving more towards longer, long runs and um, maybe a little bit of threshold work here and there still, but the focus from here on out is, is pretty much just going to be pretty much like two long runs a week, one shorter long run and one longer long run. Um, And that'll kind of 
taper up and down until maybe three weeks out. And then it's going to kind of slowly roll into taper time and into mad city. So I like that you said that, cause that's kind of how I, how I built my training to- towards like my, uh, race in June. And, uh, I, I was like, well, I read Jason Coop's book and I know a lot of like, I, I read everything. And so I was just like, you know, I think this makes sense. And then you saying that I love it when things confirm what I'm already doing. It's just great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, that was one of the things that when I was working with my coach initially on how to structure, you know, my ultra training, I was like, Hey, Jason Coop has this really cool idea of like least specific to most specific. And, you know, traditional training theory is that it's, you know, a pyramid and you go from base to threshold to speed to, you know, mm-hmm. cause, and then you peak and, but, yeah. you know, for us, we're going to turn it on its head and go from basically from speed to endurance, the mm-hmm. other direction. Um, wow. Isn't that wild? And like, well, that's crazy. But then, you know, as you start to think about it more, that, that's, it's not that crazy. Um, like if, if you do start to look at other events that, that leads to most specific, you know, mantra pretty much Mm -hmm. always holds true. So, you know, thinking of it within that lens, it's not, it's not a crazy, you know, training setup to do it like that. Um, and, and, you know, the more that I've done it, the more I've actually kind of grown to enjoy that setup and, yeah, you know, the athletes that I've worked with in the ultra on the ultra side of the sport to do it like that, you know, it's, it's worked really well. And I think, I think there's something to it. Coop's a smart guy. And I think he's, he is, yeah. he's, he is where he is for, for a very good reason. And it's, it's, I don't think it's a bad thing to take what he says seriously. Well, I also like it. Cause like in the beginning, I'm not running super far. So my, I mean, my mileage is still pretty low. My long runs are low. So like doing that really high end work, it feels good to like burn and just, you know, mm-hmm. I can get a really good workout in and it's like warm up and cool down in 60 minutes. Like that's great. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, can, <laughs> I think there's, yeah. I, and especially for like the ultra side of things, I think there's a lot to be said for that early, early phase in when you are running that hard, you're forced to be an efficient runner. And, you know, when you get into the ultra side of things, like we all have a tendency to kind of shuffle when we're out mm-hmm. there for, you know, five hours, it's, it's a nice kind of reset to run hard, make sure everything is engaged properly. You know, all the muscle groups are firing as they should, because they don't have a choice like mm-hmm. to not because you're running so hard. Um, and just to kind of have that reset of like, this is what efficient running is. And then, okay, like you kind of like set that baseline and then you kind of take that baseline and move into the rest of your training cycle. Um, and I've, I've found that that's a really nice starting point for me, you know, just, you know, as you know, you run this, these, these super high mileage weeks and everything, it's, it's easy to kind of, you know, plot about, but it's mm-hmm. nice to have that, that high intensity reset every once in a while, mm-hmm. just Definitely. to remember how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fun. I like, yeah, I like, oh, yeah, and it's fast. fun. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. It's so much fun to, you know, burn down the backstretch of a, of a track or something. Yeah, there's it's, nothing like yeah. that. Like that track hack or like the, like coffee uh-huh. <laughs> after the first one. Oh yeah. Oh God. Yeah, it's terrible, but it's wonderful at the same yeah. time. <laughs> All right. So just a couple of questions left. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, and I'm glad you got to do taco Tuesday yesterday. So, uh, Oh yes. It was excellent. <laughs> Uh, so if I give you $100 right now, how would you spend it? Oh, gosh. Um, I might just 
do a very extravagant Taco Tuesday. Oh, I like it. Okay, so, um, so take me through Taco Tuesday. Well, like what kind of tacos yeah. you make in? Are there Margs? There's, yeah, there's there always, probably is because it's David. <laughs> yes, there's always Marks. Um, <laughs> usually we do Taco Tuesday at home, but last night we went went somewhere for Taco Tuesday. Um, but yeah, there's always Marks involved. Usually, you know, fresh limes and everything. Um, that's the fanciest part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, it's you know just pretty pretty standard tacos. <laughs> um, but yeah, with a hundred hundred dollars, might go a little bit fancier with it. Might go to a somewhat bougie taco establishment and get you know their their $14 margarita or something nice yeah I like that yeah uh another person I was talking to was like I would just take my take my partner out on a nice date I was like yeah there you go all right uh the last game is called the ideal aid station game okay and um I read a quote from you that said the older and more confident I've gotten in my running, it becomes less about how do I feel today and more that my body is a machine that has inputs and outputs. So if I have the right inputs and the right mindset, more often than not, I know what to expect of myself. So this game is going to tell us what the inputs are. Okay. (laughs) All right. Uh, I really like that quote, by the way. Thank you. Um, So uh, you're coming into the mile 50 aid station at mad city. And this just has what you need to get those last 12, 12 miles in to, you know, beat the course record or whatever you want to do out there. Um, so what sweet snack is there for you? Sweet snack. Um, probably M&Ms. That's yeah. That's about the only sweet, like candy type of thing I've ever really consumed in an old, like, you know, goo and you know, choose aside, mm-hmm. um, in terms of like actual candy that either that or like gummy, gummy worms or the only like candy that I've ever consumed in an ultra. Um, and I know my stomach likes it. So mm-hmm. yeah, if I'll say uh-huh. salty snack, <laughs> salty, um, pro- or do pickles count? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Probably pickles. Um, Although one of my, one of my runners decided speaking of pickles decided to, uh, try eating pickles for the first time at like the mile, like 27, eight station of a 50 K <laughs> and had to basically walk in because his stomach was so upset with it. But, oh, wow. um, I, I know that, that, yeah, I know that my stomach likes pickles. I so. know. Like one of I set a course record one time. Cause I, and I was just like, I'm just doing goo and pickles. Cause I want to see if uh-huh. I can do it. <laughs> it <laughs> yeah, worked. no, it's, oh, I went through a phase where I had like a jar of pickles in my refrigerator and during summer runs would just come in and immediately like chug a glass of water and grab a pickle and then like go stretch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. Um, hot food, hot food. Um, I've never really run far enough to need or crave hot food. Um, but the thought of mashed potatoes sounds wonderful. It does. Yeah. The thought of mashed potatoes <laughs> does sound wonderful. Um, back to salty, probably salty mashed potatoes. That just, oh, that sounds heavenly in the, mm-hmm. in the right context. Yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. Uh, sports drink. Sports drink. Um, I'm actually a big fan of something called sword, which I'm not sure how well known it is outside of, outside of the Kentucky area, but it was started by, my uh, sports doctor or a team doctor from, from college at UK. Um, and it's, you know, like a, it's an awesome sports drink. It has 
it, it, what I like about it is that, you know, it, it does everything that, you know, like a tailwind or a Gatorade or anything else does, but it's not aggressively sweet. Mm. So you don't, you don't get that, you know, fatigue of just, you know, putting something insanely sweet in your mouth for seven hours. Um, so yeah, big fan of sword. Hmm. That's a good recommendation. Thank you. Mm-hmm. A non-sports drink. Non-sports drink, uh, Coke. I think that's flat <laughs> or carbed. Uh, I don't really care. Um, but there's something about Coke that just like when other things aren't doing it, something about it, it just can get you going. Um, yeah. Yeah. The last like two aid stations at JFK, I didn't stop at a single aid station at JFK just to use my, my crew and my vest, except for the last two and the last, you know, seven mile road stretch. Cause I was struggling. Um, and that was on those. I just like down to two of the little cups of Coke. And it was just like, Oh, it's a game changer. <laughs> Some reason it just hits right. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's Mountain Dew, but I get Mountain you. Dew. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Same, same thing. <laughs> it's, it's all, it's just different color. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> a piece of gear. Um, piece of gear at mile 50. Yes. That I didn't have otherwise. Ah, uh, I don't know. I guess it depends on the weather. Maybe like a bucket hat if it's hot. Oh, bucket would you hat. rock the bucket hat? uh sometimes yeah um okay yeah i like i like a well-placed bucket hat it has to be the right right situation (laughs) not after labor day or (laughs) yeah you know (laughs) all right uh here's the last one you can't pick david um celebrity that you want to meet you at your aid station uh and it can't be like family or friends uh it doesn't have to be running and they can be dead or alive just like a celebrity that would just like pep you up they don't have to be a runner like just somebody that like might pep you up celebrity that okay um i think obama being at your aid station would be pretty cool he'd be able to run with you too (laughs) yeah (laughs) probably like not super understand what's going on but i think that would probably be part of the charm yeah like Oh, I, Not, that's a good answer. Yeah, but he would, yeah, he would definitely have some words of encouragement, so. Well, Zach, this has been a great evening. Um, where can people find you online and your coaching business? Um, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram. I think if you just search my name, you should be able to find me. I don't think there's many Zach Bevins out there. Um, and I think both have a link to my coaching business, but it's uh, bevanendurance.com. Um, but yeah. It's, all right. We'll put all those in the show notes. Thank you so good. much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was and a lot good of fun. luck at Mad City and I'll be cheering for you and I will see you on the Twitters. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. Thank you. Have Ellie. a good night. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Voices from the Collective. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Gazelli and the Trails Collective on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Look for Zach in his next big race, the Mad City 100K, which will be his first attempt at that distance. We are a little less than two months away from the Breakneck Point Marathons, which serve as a Team USA qualifying race. The fields are looking stacked, so make sure you're there. In May, we've also got the Highlands Trail Festival, which hosts a beautiful course and a wide range of distances. Do not miss this first year event because it might not happen again. And remember to use code Trails Collective at Exoskin uh, for all your sock, compression, moisture wicking, anti-chafing needs. 
All right. That's it for me today, you guys. See you on Friday.